0: Both of those candidates, particularly the KMT, are probably ruining the fact that that fell apart because they feel like they could have won this presidential race if they had a unity ticket.
1: Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Today's episode is brought to you by the University of Denver's Joseph Corbell School of International Studies. Corbell graduates make the world a better place, working toward global solutions in climate change, international security, economics, development, and diplomacy. ninety five percent of Corbell students get jobs after graduation, and Corbell alumni are power players around the world. Learn more about the seven different degree programs offered at the University of Denver Joseph Corbell School of International Studies by visiting edu. Taiwan held elections last week for president and the legislature. These elections were highly anticipated for the fact that the two leading candidates have differing views on how to manage Taiwan's relationship with China. Hoyo i of the Kuomintang, or KMT, opts for a more conciliatory cross-strait relationship, while Lai ching is more pro-west, pro-independence and skeptical of China. This year, a third-party insurgent candidate Ko wen mounted a surprisingly successful campaign. In the end, Lai Ching-te of the ruling Democratic Progressive Party or DPP won with 40% of the vote to become Taiwan's next president. He is currently the Vice-President of Taiwan for Tsai Ing-wen, who is stepping down. My guest today, Karis Templeman, spent the last several weeks in Taiwan leading up to the vote. He explains the results, including the fact that while the DPP candidate Lai Ching-de won the presidency, the DPP does not have a majority in the legislature. We discuss the significance of this split government, and what Lai does presidency means for cross-strait relations with China. Karis Templeman is research fellow at the Hoover Institution and the manager of the Project on Taiwan in the Indo-Pacific region. He is also a lecturer at the Center for East Asian Studies at Stanford University. We last spoke exactly six months ago in a conversation that pairs nicely with today's episode, for the fact that Karis Templeman does an excellent job explaining the history of Taiwanese democracy and the major parties' relationship with mainland China. Do check out that episode from about six months ago. It was called The Geopolitical Implications of Taiwan's Upcoming Elections. And with those election results in hand, here is my conversation with Karis Templeman of the Hoover Institution. So, Karis, thanks again for joining me. You know, we spoke six months ago as the candidacy of the three main candidates became clear. So I know that you've been in Taiwan for most of the three weeks ahead of the vote last weekend.
0: What was the mood, the vibe in Taiwan ahead of this vote? This was my fourth presidential election in Taiwan. And in contrast to the other three, this felt like I don't want to say relaxed, but a a more subdued environment. None of the candidates was especially polarizing or inspiring to large swaths of the electorate. And so it felt like a lot of voters were trying to decide how to choose the best of a pretty mediocre set of candidates. That's interesting. That seems like a mirror image to how the rest of the world
1: is viewing the uh, elections with a a lot of interest and and trepidation and, and excitement. So that's just like an interesting dichotomy that within Taiwan, it was subdued, but outside of Taiwan, we were all kind of eerily looking towards these results
0: for all of the all of the obvious geopolitical reasons that we'll get into. That's right. Yeah. The contrast between the vibe in Taiwan and the vibe outside of Taiwan was really stark. And I think that's going to be a point I make repeatedly over the next few weeks is that the Taiwanese themselves did not really see this as a choice between peace or war, between autocracy or democracy. They saw this as another in a long line of elections where a lot of people were kind of tired of the ruling party, but not that excited about the main opposition. And in many cases, cast a protest vote for the third party candidate, Kwenja. And so I would describe this as a split decision by the electorate to re-elect a DPP government, but to deny them a majority in the legislature.
1: Was there sufficient exit polling to suggest to you why it was that among these three candidates, most voters preferred Lai ching
0: Yeah, so Taiwan actually bans exit polls. Huh. So we don't have good information about who showed up to the polls. We do have, have a really extensive set of polls that were taken in the months before the election. And given how the election actually turned out, The polls, at least from some polling companies, really nailed the result, you know, 10, 20, 30 days before. So those polls tell us, I think, something pretty accurate about who turned out to vote, what they cared about, who supported the third party candidates versus the other two. And we'll be digging into those certainly over the next few weeks. But as a preliminary result, I think young voters especially voted very differently from older voters in this election.
1: And is Taiwan kind of like the United States in which young voters don't vote with great numbers compared to older voters?
0: Their turnout numbers are a little bit down from older voters, but the turnout rate was higher than I had anticipated. And it was within three points of what it was in 2020, which we usually characterize as a very kind of high-intensity polarized electorate. I suspect the youth vote actually turned out in pretty high numbers in this election.
1: So give us a brief biographical sketch of Lai Ching, the, the winner of the presidential election. Who is he, and what should listeners know about how he might govern?
0: Yeah. He is a longtime DPP member. He worked his way up from the grassroots. Before he entered politics, he earned a medical degree, and he's from a actually a very poor family His father was a minor who was killed in an accident when he was only about two months old, so he was raised by a single mother along with five other kids. So that background is quite a bit different from Tsai ing background. She is the youngest child of 11 children in a pretty well-to-do family, and she was a kind of outsider to the core DPP uh, and came in when the party was at a low point, and he was a consensus candidate who rebuilt the party. Lai is very different in that he worked his way up through electoral politics, eventually became mayor of Tainan, which is a large city in southern Taiwan, and then became premier under Tsai Ing-wen, and then joined her on the ticket as vice president during her second term. And so he has a, a much longer period of party service But then he's also associated with the deeper green wing of the party, so the part of the DPP that is more traditionally pro-independence. And while I wouldn't characterize him that way, uh, he in the past has made some statements that suggest he is a stronger advocate for Taiwan independence or Taiwan's own separate identity vis-a-vis the mainland.
1: So is it fair to assume, therefore, that he won because most voters in Taiwan support his broad view vis-a-vis China and leaning more closely to the United States towards more independence from China as compared to the other two main candidates?
0: I think this time around, the reason he won was he mobilized the DPP base behind his candidacy. But again, the majority of voters actually voted for someone else. So he won in part because the anti DPP vote was split. And so he doesn't really have a mandate to depart dramatically from what Tsai Ing wen did or to take bolder stances in favor of a kind of pro Taiwan independence agenda.
1: So just to be clear, you do not see the results of this election as reflecting anything like a referendum on how. Taiwanese view their relationship with China
0: ah uh, no, I really don't think you can interpret it that way. It was a maintaining election in some ways. The incumbent party was reelected, but it also you know the people who criticized the DPP actually won a majority of the vote if you add it all up so yeah, this is a really split decision by the Taiwan voters
1: and. Part of the reflection of that split decision is the fact that though Lai Ching-de, the DPP, won the presidency, they did not win a majority in the legislative branch. What happened there? What was the results in the legislature?
0: So the legislature ended up split. The DPP came into this with a about a seven-seat majority, and they lost uh, about 12 seats. So... They have 51 seats in the new 113 seat legislature. The KMT improved quite a bit, now has 52 seats. And the balance is held by the Taiwan People's Party of this third party candidate, Ko And so, in European terms, we have a hung parliament here where no party controls a majority. And any kind of legislation that passes the legislature will have to win cross party support.
1: And presumably, the DPP would favor higher defense spending in order to deter a potential invasion from China or something along those lines, whereas perhaps the other two main parties don't want to kind of poke the bear in the same way? I mean, do you foresee debates down the line over levels of defense spending as a consequence of a hung parliament and a split uh, legislature versus the presidency?
0: Yeah, so it's plausible. The DPP certainly has increased defense spending during the Tsai Ing wen era. But during the campaign, all three presidential candidates endorsed increased defense spending in the next term. And so, at least if their public statements are any guide, that issue now has a cross party consensus. It's plausible that some members of the KMT might oppose increases in defense spending, but even there, a lot of the new kmt members coming in are actually they were elected from districts that are very competitive and they'll be fighting to retain their seats in the next election and so they have an incentive i think to be quite moderate on this issue because if they don't they quite possibly could lose the seats that they just won so I think there's some incentives in the opposition camp to play nice with the DPP on defense issues, as long as public opinion broadly is behind that. And then the TPP, which holds the balance of power, has made some vague noises about supporting defense spending as well. And so there's not an obvious majority contingent in the legislature that will reflexively reject any kind of increased defense budgets. Where it may get a little trickier is Taiwan actually has used supplementary budgets. They call them special budgets to follow through on arms sales that the United States offers to Taiwan. And so both the KMT and TPP have kind of raised a procedural objection to buying arms via these special budgets that are done outside of the regular budgetary process every year. So there may be a bit of a fight about whether to approve special budgets or whether to try to systematize a bit more Taiwan's budgets that they approved to purchase arms from the United States.
1: So what has been Beijing's response to these results? I mean, I think it's fair to say that Lai ching and the DPP were not Beijing's preferred candidates in these elections. How
0: have they responded thus far to the results? Well, it's very early yet. The Taiwan Affairs Office, which is the official mouthpiece for Beijing on Taiwan issues, noted the election results and said that they demonstrated that mainstream public opinion was against the DPP. So because the DPP didn't win a majority in the presidential race or the legislature, the majority of Taiwanese rejected the DPP. They're going to spin it in the way that they want to, but we could interpret that actually as a potentially positive sign out of Beijing, that they see these this result as a trend in the right direction and they're not going to feel an urgent need to shake things up. They can afford to be patient over the next four years and continue the kind of dual track strategy where they try to engage with China friendly parts of the Taiwanese political system and pressure the DPP and its partners and allies. So that's one thing. And then they are clearly continuing with some of um, diplomatic pressure on the Tsai administration. So it was just announced in the last 24 hours that one of Taiwan's remaining formal diplomatic partners, Nauru, has broken relations with Taiwan and is going to recognize the People's Republic of China. So Taiwan is now down to 12 other countries that recognize it rather than the PRC.
1: So, I mean, it sounds based on what you're saying that China's response thus far, I mean, they see things kind of going in the right direction, even though this election might have been lost by candidates that they might have preferred at the presidency level, at least. I mean, stepping back, do you see any broad geopolitical implications of this election and
0: what are they? Well, to the extent there is an implication, it's that we'll have more of the same, I think, over the next four years. Beijing is not going to enter into a period of detente or cooperation with the incoming president. And Lai Qingda is going to face a daunting challenge in trying to stabilize or establish communication in cross-strait relations. But that's not any different from what Tsai Ing-wen has faced over the last eight years. And so there was. The possibility that you could get a non DPP president in office and Beijing would have an incentive then to make that person look good. And that would have had, I think, at least in the short run, a kind of stabilizing effect on the cross trade relationship. The geopolitical implications here are kind of second order effects. So that would have allowed US China relations, the two sides to talk about things other than Taiwan and kind of move Taiwan off to the side and deal with some of the other serious challenges in the relationship. But there is a fair level of comfort now in the United States with Lai Chingda himself and what his administration would look like. There's a lot of familiarity with the DPP, and so I see a lot of continuity in the U.S. approach to Taiwan with the incoming president that would carry over from the outgoing president.
1: I mean, it's interesting. Like It seems that since that Sunnylands meeting this fall, that Broadly speaking, tensions between Beijing and Washington have been reduced from a previous like year, several months of really heightening tensions, and things are kind of calmer now. To what extent do you see the fact that things do seem to be a bit calmer now than they were earlier last year as impacting relations like the question of Taiwan between the United States and China?
0: So the Xi Biden meeting last fall did, I think, help at least lessen the heat in the relationship and improve the tenor of conversations. There were some, a handful of deliverables out of that meeting, including reestablishing mill-to-mill communication that were small but important steps in improving the relationship. I think the tone out of Beijing so far on Taiwan issues has actually been rather muted since then. So, in terms of the Chinese approach to Taiwan elections, in the past, they've engaged in some kind of interference in the election campaign. In 2020, there was a very clear effort to mobilize support behind Han Guoyu, the candidate of the KMT. There's quite a bit of evidence that PRC-linked groups were trying to promote him on social media. This time around, there was some evidence of that and some evidence of attacks on the DPP, but the level didn't rise, in my estimation, to what we saw in 2020. And then Beijing also didn't ramp up military exercises before this election. They actually kept a pretty low profile, which I think on their part was smart. Their tendency in past election cycles is uh, if they call a lot of attention to themselves, it tends to backfire in voters swing towards the candidate that they really don't like. And so at least on Taiwan issues, they've kept a lower profile the last few months.
1: So looking ahead, are there any key dates on the calendar or policy decisions or choices that the new administration of Lai ching will have to make that may have some important geopolitical implications?
0: The first thing that happens now in Taiwan is the new legislature takes office, and Taiwan has this weird institutional quirk where the president has several months before he is inaugurated to succeed Tsai Ing-wen, but the legislature comes in much earlier on February 1st. There will be this gap between February 1st and May 20th where the legislature is actually controlled by the opposition, but Tsai Ing-wen is still the president, and that means that Tsai, not Lai, is going to be handling the administrative response to cross-strait pressure, while the legislature could potentially create some problems for her and the incoming administration. I don't know how that will play out. I do think it's probably a good thing from Lai's perspective that the KMT doesn't have a majority and that the TPP holds the balance of power, because the TPP doesn't have any real clear, established positions on a lot of policy issues. And so they make the ideal bargaining partner. You can buy them off, potentially, because they don't have a whole lot of core values. So over the next few months, I think we'll see, yeah, there are a lot of ways that this kind of points towards Taiwan just remaining or preserving the status quo in the cross-strait relationship and in domestic politics, at least until Lai comes into office.
1: I mean, so bottom line, it really does seem like this was a very low-key election that won't rock many boats. Is that kind of your top-line takeaway?
0: Yeah. I think from Beijing's perspective, it's probably a missed opportunity. If the opposition had managed to put forward a unity ticket where they ran a single candidate, they had a decent chance of winning this election. And so They actually had that agreement in hand at one point, and then it fell apart a couple days before the registration deadline. So both of those candidates, particularly the KMT, are probably ruining the fact that that fell apart because they feel like they could have won this presidential race if they had a unity ticket. But generally, there isn't a big swing in the Taiwanese electorate away or toward any particular party here. So unlike 2008 or 2016 or even 2020, the voters haven't delivered this kind of overwhelming mandate for the direction of cross-strait politics over the next four years.
1: Well, Karis, thank you so
0: much for sharing your expertise. Thanks for having me on. It's great to chat.
1: Thanks for listening to Global Dispatches. The show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg. It is edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to follow the show and enable automatic downloads to get new episodes as soon as they're released. On Spotify, tap the bell icon to get a notification when we publish new episodes. And of course, please visit globaldispatches.org to get on our free mailing list, get in touch with me, and access our full archive. Thank you.